I think there's a certain level of irony because in, later on in the chapter, we see that Douglas has complete belief in the U.S. Constitution. He says something to the effect that if it can, you know, keep slaves at a certain level, it can also liberate them. And I thought it was interesting that he had this certain anger towards Lincoln when he regarded them as what he said, stepchildren. But at the same time, he, oh, where was I going with that? And he wants some sort of political and economic freedom. Oh, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Never mind. Yeah. Oh, that was definitely a really hectic section. I've like never heard of or like read of a black person like positioning themselves as like a stepchild to a white person. Um, which just makes that betrayal that he felt even more gutting. Like, you trip this person in like a paternal, ma ma even maternal point of view and then reveal their betrayal. Um, also, uh, I don't know if the book, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, if, if someone knows that I'm wrong, but I do think pregnant Douglas eventually wound up with a white woman which could explain a lot of him, like, uh, his, a lot of his confusion around, like, supporting white supremacy and the way of believing in the Constitution, trusting Lincoln in the first place. Uh, and all okay, along, but he was married to a black woman for a long ass time, and then she died. Oh. He married her when he was, like, hella old. I was, at first, I was like, okay, like, but then I, I researched it later on. I like, okay. just to give some context, you know, because okay. literally almost every like I, I almost every black like like I don't know whatever thinker that I like is like married to a white woman and it, it has <laughs> fucked me up so much. Like Franz Fanon, Ishmael Reed. Wait, like, Fanon is married to a white as like white ass white woman. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm always just like. Yeah. How can you be in this like intimate space with like a white person and like share and like rear children and like share your bed and grow emotionally with with a person and then have all of these like thoughts about white people in terms of like the structure of white supremacy and but at least like Frederick Douglass was married to a black woman for like a significant amount of time. And I know that there was like a white chick who was like stalking him too. Mm. And I don't know if it's that chick, but I, I read something about it and like that everyone always talks about how he loves white women, but really this white chick was like stalking him and he was always trying to like get rid of her. And so, coercive. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I don't know. That's just some to add some context. Okay. Thank you for that. Really wow. important context. Shout out to Frederick Douglass for having a white a black wife first yeah. yeah very important also like sorry i'm talking a lot but um i was listening to like a podcast and they were talking about how like from jump obama has always wanted to be like in power and like a president and if you look at all of obama's partners before michelle obama they're all white women and like people think that he like strategically married a black woman because he knew he was like gonna run for president one day, which I kind of like agree Holy with personally. Shit. <laughs> I, I, like, I buy a, it. I really would have had a much better time in office if he had a white wife, for sure. That's also what I think. But I don't think so. But um, when, do you Maybe guys- not with like his positioning as his identity as like, you know, what he was trying to do for the like the black community of America, you know? Yeah, but, well, yeah. well, because Obama is not really like a black American and he's like an immigrant and mm -hmm. he like, well, he's not an immigrant, but he didn't live here for a significant amount of time. He wasn't raised by black people. So I think Michelle Obama gives him a lot of validity yeah. to Black Americans. I was That's like, South Side of Chicago. Yeah. Like, constantly, I'm like, damn. <laughs> um, do you guys think people were calling um, Obama 
uh, a socialist as a euphemism for like nigger or did they actually believe he did him to be uh, some kind of socialist figure a socialist figure accepting millions and millions and those dollars and fucking lobbyist money but you know so do you guys how do you is he considered a social i mean i'm not surprised that anyone calls anyone who's not the alt right like a communist because of this is america but like i didn't is was he called that a lot mm -hmm. oh shit okay. Definitely a dog whistle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm sure it is. Um, what do you think? What do you guys think about like Frederick Douglass being half white and like that affecting? Like, do you think that that was a significant factor in how he viewed Lincoln and other people and like his? relationships with them because he had technically had like a white father uh, well I've, I've seen pictures of Frederick douglas uh he looks like a regular black person to me and he was definitely treated like a nigger during those times so uh i think him being a massive like him being freed is what gave him false hope in america um, I I don't think prior to his freedom he, you know he he may have if he would have, would have remained enslaved I don't know how optimistic he would have been, you know I don't know how many um, slaves had the luxury and privilege to be able to like, you know, identify with their white parentage. Yeah, or like be even like able to like get a pen and paper and write. You know, maybe one day I will be free. Maybe the Constitution will, will will set me right, set me free. I don't know how, how many of them have the capacity to to do that, you know, mm -hmm. to sit and ponder, you know, intellectually about what the fuck's going on. So, I know it definitely impacted what at least the white people around him allowed him to do, and like the platform they bestowed on him because. They specific, I think there's a quote where they're like, the fact that he has Native American background, white background, like, see, he's he's special, you know? And like the fact that he had a white parent, like they thought that was what set him apart. So, I mean, I, it's hard to say, like with himself, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I think it further um, just um, concretized his relationship with white male authority. I don't think all slaves have the privilege of, you know, singing outside the window and receiving a meal. Um, so it, I think it also gave him a certain level of internal turmoil as well. To be so close, I mean, in terms of DNA, chromosomes to whiteness, but that proximity not means so much. Uh, and I think the author tries to, attempts to like touch on that inner struggle. Uh, but the whole time as I was reading this, I completely forget that uh, Douglas has that heritage. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. Around that time, there was so much like eugenics type talk and like talk about like racism as it, like race science. So I wonder even more like how that might have played a part because there was a really belief that like, you know, the races have like different brain sizes and all of that like stuff that's obviously not real. So that's why I was thinking like it might have affected the way that he perceived himself or his relationship to like other white people.
do do you guys think uh Frederick Douglass's inability to truly voice his experiences is um still remnant today and America's inability to have an honest discord about its past and present. Can you repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys think Douglas Douglas his inability to truly talk about all of his experiences and what he went through. Do you think that's still remnants today and how America deals with its past? Do you think that's remnant, like remnant today? Or do you think America has no, no issue talking about its past? I mean, it makes me definitely think about how difficult it is for black men to talk about their own sexual assault, probably that they've been subjected to and how he was like, I've seen things that I can't even describe. Um, and so, and that reminds me when just like elders in general, like they can't even talk about it because it's just too traumatic, whether it's sexual violence or whatever else they were they had to live through. So definitely, so I don't know what maybe Ash and Evan And when we consider that every everything is political, um, mm -hmm. it shows the constraints in terms of the language he could use. I mean, Amanda is a perfect example of that, uh, where he's put, he has boundaries around him. Uh, so we only see his story in as much as uh, he feels that he can communicate it and uphold his position. So there's that. Um, so there's a certain level of self-silencing that must occur when telling a story because of just how things are. Um, black men were talking about being raped um, or their mothers being raped or the pain of not growing up with the mother, you know, so it's all uh, political. And that affects the stories that we hear and how we hear them. Yeah, I think too, like, um, because I think every, no one is comfortable with like, I feel like within America, no one's comfortable with like nuance or like emotional maturity. So it's like, no one can handle having this type of violence in their lineage and being able to understand it and contextualize it and like move forward from it. So we're in this constant state of like, no one wants to bring it up. And then when you bring it up, it's like you're acting like as a disturbance to like the order or something. And like, because we're never bringing up the how it affects us emotionally and spiritually to like live on this land that has gone through all this trauma and like to have all this trauma in our lineage mm. we're never gonna like actually have any sort of like revolution or change because mm. people are not wanting to admit the things that people in the in their lineage did and also people don't want to see themselves as a lineage of people who have been subjected because of the American ideal is so ingrained in people that they can overcome anything with like ingenuity and hard work. It's like people don't want to believe that, you know, who we came from were people who were like subjugated. And until we have that realization that I think also people don't really know what happened during slavery. That's why Kanye West can say something like that. And even though people thought that it was crazy, I bet there's people who really were like, well, yeah, right? Because people are so uneducated about what happened during slavery that people don't know what like seasoning was. People don't really understand because people still use excuses to this day for 
black people and still pathologize black people. So that's what I think. Like, but it's I hate and I and I don't even get that because it's like people can't people are scared to even like ask for a day off of work. And it's but like you're you think that like under this super tyrannical like mess up system where you were physically like going through all of this trauma you could have just somehow left or something it's yeah. not that easy but yeah. you can't even like you know like you can't even ask your your boss or you can't even quit your job that you hated for years like and you're not even physically like forced to be there yeah, so I, I um as a american descendant of slavery reading this book is like allowing me to see how like the plantation mentality is like alive and well on both sides we have white people believing they could do anything they want anywhere they are to any person who is not white and we have black people like still on high alert operating and this state of fear, anxiety, hesitation, because in order to survive slavery, you had to succumb to it. You had to become a slave. You had to lose yourself. And the people who escaped slavery are the ones who literally fled and were able to escape it physically or the ones who died. So the survivors of slavery are the people who lost a lot of themselves, all of their psyche, a lot of like their power in order to survive. Now you can say that um, surviving slavery is in itself a very like powerful thing to do, but you still lose a lot of your yourself in doing so, I would believe. And that is still prominent today. I think there's also something about how we teach these things. Like I was in AP US history and I remember being the only black kid in the class. And when we talked about slavery, I would feel embarrassed. I was like, why is she talking about it in this way? Like I would feel that it wasn't no. taught at, it was like, it was, it was like this rather than, I don't know, this happened. Um, so I, th I think if we taught our children, you know, about, slavery not in a classroom full of their white peers you know they're the only ones they're tokenized in these um, classrooms and maybe I don't know we can get a little further in terms of understanding our uh, past um, the trauma of our past I would say yeah and yeah um when I was growing up and like learning about slavery like every year I was already pretty desensitized. I was just already learning about the same shit every year. All right, MLK got shot. Malcolm X got shot. We were slaves. Every fucking year, I learned this shit. Like, I'm in, like, middle school learning the same thing. I'm in high school learning the same thing. All right, JFK got shot. All right, white person got shot. All right, but more black people have been getting shot. And throughout this history, I'm learning. And we're slaves again. All right, so I've learned, like, I was a slave my entire, like, history. Never learned about, you know, white people raping the slave or eating the slave. Never learned about, you know, the, all the interact like the insurrections that were happening on an average, like, you know, at least like a, a few a week. So like, we are like, the, the history that we are given, it is given to us to keep us confused and to keep us in, the, in whatever conditions the white supremacists want us in. So that's my, that's my two cents. Yeah, like in um, in Germany, they actually feel shame, you know, about the Holocaust. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but like they never teach like colonization. Like oh, even yeah. like um, being from like Ghana. Like when people talk about Africa in school, I'm like I, I get so like ashamed, right? Because it's like all you can think of is like this continent that is like full of these like savage people who have been like abused or something like there's no like complexity or there's no analysis on what the people who oppress them like did it's always this tale of like victimization 
And I think that until you tell it from a perspective of like, no, y'all need to be ashamed for what you did because what you did is inhumane and it was not conducive to like building a better society or even like utilizing natural resources in a way that is like good for, you know, generations on. Like, so what you did was a shameful act. I think like that's the way that it should be taught. Hopefully if I become a teacher one day, I'll teach white kids to be ashamed of their ancestors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like very, for sure. Very, I, lo- I love this. I, I love this. That was a great yeah. point of the day. Yeah. I think it's necessary. That's the only way Germany has been able to progress away from its history. Or that specific history. I recently read just some, it was brought to my attention, like, because I've been to Berlin and like they really do such an incredible job with like all the monuments dedicated to like the Holocaust and making you think about like all the horrors that happened and like they have they you can look on a map where like Hitler killed himself but there's like nothing there it's a sidewalk and they're like we don't want to like bring any attention to that like that's you know like idolize that and hold that up in any form but they don't but they still don't talk or like have any monuments about the genocide they committed in Africa in like the Congo and stuff. And so it's just like ten ten million Congolese people have population eradicated under King Leopold. So until like these conversations are, are had, until or until we start the revolution and we all die or we win. Um and until one of these things happen, you know, like we have a lot of barriers and awakening and educating and giving people the actual awareness of history so they are able to better understand where we're going and where we are. It would seem that the United States hasn't quite finished their meal, right? So as you know, moms come in <laughs> trying to, you know, take the plates away, but sounds like I want one more. This is a white thing. Oh my god. I love how um, you're always with the metaphorical yeah. like, <laughs> it's right, always so good. So good. <laughs> so delectable mom can i have dessert and so it's, <laughs> he hasn't had a chance to write a review of his mom's dinner yet so i think once yeah. we come to that phase of healing then you know we won't have statues to commemorate you know yeah. and even when we do somebody's gonna tear it down and police it with an automatic weapon so there's that um oh that's so true but like how could that even be begun to be taught in an action. <laughs> well, we just need people willing. We just need people who have the information who are who are willing. And you know, I, I for faculties like, hey, why are you teaching this? Why am I teaching what why am I teaching what actual hap- actually happened? Why am I teaching actual history? Like like and and what logical world can they argue that you should not be able to teach what happened in America to Americans with Americans, you know, so, you know, any, 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 like, anyone detesting this being taught is just a supporter of white supremacy, and that is, and a practicer of white supremacy. Yeah, I think we have to be more strategic, too, about where we place ourselves. I feel like people have, like, as people who, like, want to see a different world, like, we have to make sacrifices in that like maybe we all should infiltrate certain spaces to make sure that these ideas are being seen and like yeah I don't know I don't know where else I'm going with that oh I had another thought too about what Ebene was saying I wonder too like the different ways that people white people consume black people now like like you know like you can think of white people as like the white supremacist capitalist class but also like the suburban white person and like the suburban liberal white person or like like i wonder the different ways in which they consume like black people 
Um, it's, it's in the entertainment. I, I would say a lot of um, people get their kicks from the, the mm-hmm. <laughs> entertainment area of white supremacy, whereas watching people die in real life or get maimed in real life via like police torture porn or whether it's watching just stylized violence and entertainment like you know movies tv where you know black people are fighting and getting beat up and drive-bys and you know sexual violence committed towards each one another all those things are how like a person who may not think they're racist enjoys what white supremacy has to offer which is that sort of stuff you know you know what i'm saying yeah i also think like gentrification is like one of the most like Mm. obvious oh yeah and even like gentrification like they're literally like consumption of the land but it's also like a consumption of the culture until they like literally had their full and everyone is gone and then they just like invade a new place for a new culture to like satiate that feeling of like exoticism yeah a yeah. cool hit yeah like. I, just, I just had an idea it's like uh it's like a wild like you know how we saw that white person jogging yesterday over here it's like they're like in a, in a, in a safari they want to go live among the animals for a little bit so 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 they come down here you know like i want to to to, to hang out with the, with the with the non-humans you know see how see how we really live our day to days and then all their racial stereo all their all their racist stuff is reinforced because they see what we're doing over here or what black people are doing over here and it's like oh yeah they really they, they really do do what they do in the music videos and in tv and they really do do that stuff over here it's so crazy black people are such characters uh, are you know coded for not human beings not real people you know so for me, uh, an example of that has been um, black or films and black people in films or, or, or uh, what am I saying? Black people in scary movies. Uh, as a kid, I always found myself rooting for the black person. Like, you're going to live through this. You can do it. You can do it. Scary movie, oh like one, two, three, um, slasher films, the black person is thrown down the stairs. They'll sacrifice you. And that's why I like Jordan Peele so much. He's redefining that landscape for scary movies, thriller. Um, and we see whole cast being developed around black blackness, black culture, black things. So yeah, don't sacrifice a black person. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, Jordan Peele definitely has delectable Negro vibes. Yeah, well, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I don't need to say it. I don't need to say it, but, but you know, Jordan Peele is what? What is he doing, guys? What is he doing? He's dating a white woman. So his work is always going to be a little, you know, a little confused, a little not on the caliber of really exposing white supremacy for what it really is. It's actually interesting, too, because his partner was raised by a black woman. Isn't that so? Yeah, it's like so many layers of like interestingness. As, you know, uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> wow. That's funny. I in um high school, I had a Fregless Douglas shirt. And I didn't know anything about this guy. I I still wore it though. Yeah, but now I know. Uh, now I know quite a bit. You know, <laughs> definitely a, a important figure, a very traumatized victim of white supremacy. Um, Can we do a temperature check of like, um, yeah, like how much longer you want to go? I, I never have uh, I like to be organic we just go until it ends I don't really be thinking about that okay. that's valid I just wanted to know just in case I don't know sometimes people are like timid or people are different you know? <laughs> yeah I was gonna tell my 
because I just scheduled my qualification exams for my PhD uh, in a couple months. So I have to like, I'm very stressed out. So I was like, I'm only gonna, I'm gonna give like an hour and then I'm out. But the conversation was so good. I was like, no, this is like the most stimulating conversation I've had all week. But um, I'll probably head out soon. I got about 20 minutes left in my battery. Yeah. I saw um, a a um a ad that Andrew Jackson had put out for one of his um escaped slaves, and he he was rewarding um one hundred dollars for every one hundred lashings that the person who caught the slave gave the slave for up to three hundred dollars, so up to three hundred lashings. Catch the nigger for me, beat him real good. I'll give you three hundred dollars. What's the ad that this president, former president of um, our country, had um, put out? So, yeah. And this is isn't he on our money? I think he's on a twenty dollar bill. It's crazy. Yeah. And they're trying to replace him with Harriet Tubman. <laughs> yeah, <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> yeah. That's an insult to her. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, that's like when you don't get it, but you just want to like be representational, but like you don't actually understand any history. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like it's really, like the 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 mental warping your mind has to undergo when you see another human being as property is something that has to be. Like so detrimental to your soul and your psyche that no wonder white people are always on the edge, you know, have no fear or have or are or are, are totally fearful of things they should not be afraid of, you know. So I don't know. I it's really interesting exploring furthering the the exposure of um this sick psyche where Dig where we're just digging into and it's like holy shit just like the more i i i'm able to really think and wanting to think about this shit i'm like hmm do white people have souls i i i'm really starting to question that you know they um when they first met black people they said that black people were cannibals and they had no souls then what happened? They started to eat the black people. So maybe that projection, maybe the, the cannibalistic thing turned out to be a projection. Perhaps the soul thing is a projection as well. Certainly the actions indicate that they are, to me at least. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna watch Lovecraft Country at y'all's recommendation. Yeah, let's just discuss that. Let's just um discuss okay. that. <laughs> um well well in the future. Yeah. Ash, do you wanna um, discuss Lovecraft County with the book club? Ebony? Yeah, yeah, you guys down do this? Yes. Alright, uh I'll text you to G C to cement the date. So, has anyone reading this book developed like new thoughts around white people, white supremacists? I definitely have. Prior to this book, I was giving white people a lot of benefit of doubt, you know? Yeah. So, I have, I'm all ears. It's led me to listen to the language behind what they're saying more and more. And it's something more immediately when I'm out run walking, when a white guy's pulling something out of his pocket, I'm going to look. Like, I don't know. Um, so there's certain, 
but I don't want to go back to that whole seasoning thing. You should fear them. So it's it's definitely been a toss up between you know just being more aware. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Every, like every white person is racist man, racist woman collectively. You should see them as like racist suspect minimally for your safety. You know, for your safety. This person is a racist suspect, potential race soldier until proven otherwise. It's made me really um, rethink like queer relationships, specifically like that black queer men must face and the dynamics that they face with white men in like a moonlight. Um, Cause I have like a lot of cis gay male friends and like so much of what's written in this book is really, I mean, it's in all parts of our society, but in that particular subset within the queer community is like really um, prominent yeah, and disturbing. Like, if you really want to think even even more, if you really want to go go more, if you really want to go more into it with the thinking, how many how many gay men potentially? Are ascendants from butt breakers, you know, which was a role in the slave era of a person you know, having to rape a slave into the slave role, into that form of conditioning. So, how many gay men are ascendants from that role, that that behavior? Perhaps these are the certain these are the uh, conversations that need to be had in order to get to the bottom. There's, there's like this, um, I was reading about this photographer named Robert Maplethorpe. Have you guys heard of him? He's like super esteemed photographer and literally like all of his art is like suit, like just like hyper sexual. I'm like next to my daughter, so I'm trying not to like, but it's like super like explicit, like sexual situations with like black men specifically oh. like he yeah. like yeah it's like really and he's like super esteemed like in museums and things like that and his art is seen as like to this day mm-hmm. and it's it's when you really think about it in the context of like this book like it's oh. really really like yeah it's really Can you put it because I'm gonna add. Yeah, let me type his name. I'm gonna add the. I'll put a. I'll put a link to the Google image search just so you can see what I just came up for me. Also. Because I'm gonna put the artist that you put in. I'm gonna put that for the thumbnail for this video, Mm -hmm. this discussion video. But like, yeah, like a lot of his art is like explicit, like sex between like black men and white men, and. Mm Yeah, this is so interesting. Yeah, it's just like, and, and like whenever uh, I, I like like I've been buying my daughter a lot of like comics and they always have like kind of like queer like stories, but it's mm-hmm. always like a black um girl and like a white girl. It's never like two black people or even like two yeah. people of color. And I'm always wondering like because you know, people always say, like, oh, it's because white people always want to see themselves in things, but now it's like there's so many other levels yeah. to it, you know? Did yeah. you get the one that's like, I like this part? Have you seen No, that? I don't. I oh, that's like that. between you two, uh, two young girls. I actually read that with Saw's younger sister when I met her at the bookstore, but it was between, it was like a black girl and a white girl. And it's like always. Even just the language specifically that is used to describe like people sexually and like black men sexually and black women and and like is making me think about like what and how that those differ like what Frederick Douglass had to do versus like Sojourner Truth and how that comes up today. Yeah. It's,
Oh yeah. Um, do you guys want to just throw out some closing closing remarks? Because I feel like we are we're all just zap. We all just have, <laughs> have 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 constructively conversed about this book and white supremacy. So we've done our duty for this chapter. So any closing remarks? I, I do think this is going to be um, the one of the most easiest chapters to get through. I, I think uh, the book is going to pick back up into getting into like <sighs> horrific, you know, cannibalistic behavior again. Because um, I was skimming ahead. And yeah, I, I just really hope that um, we, we are able to see the, the children's role in this system more because i i just had this thought well, what were the kids doing during, during all this uh were they just playing with that with horses or something don't believe it so those are my closing remarks <laughs> mm. This is really um, personalizing to me the like the really intimate traumas that leaders face that we're taught about and the deeds they do and the way history's taught it's like they did this and then they did this and they wrote this um, versus like their very spiritual personal journey through all the things that they did and lived through um, and the traumas and everything so. I feel like this is one of the few times where I've really like sat with that. Learning about a historical figure. Okay, well. <laughs> And, and until we meet again, uh, maybe we Wait, all... we didn't all get to go. Oh, I, th I, thought, I, I thought no one was going to go. I thought it was just maybe quiet. We're just, we're just thinking. <laughs> uh, all right, okay, take your time. Yeah. Take your time. Just to see why energy was going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I'm not in a rush at all. I mean, yeah, I just appreciated. Well, I appreciate this chapter once Ebony explained that part because, like, I was not, I think I wasn't reading it, like, in the way that I was still reading it from the lens of, like, now and not really, like, placing myself in it. So I really appreciated this chapter. I, yeah, I'm excited for everyone to watch Lovecraft Country because I feel like it'll be really cool to, like, analyze it with this book simultaneously because it has a lot of the themes similar themes too and yeah that's all I have to say and I have another question I have another question um this question is kind of inspired by what um Evan they said that a really dope line but what do you think we can do as individuals to spoil the white supremacist feast you know what can we do For me, it begins with stop, um, stopping denying yourself of anything. Um, so learn your history, eat healthy, because one's potential definitely shifts in an area where mental health is you know, up to par, where physical health is up to par. Um, so I think, I forget your question now, but I think once we stop, once I, once collective we um, can stop 
you know, denying ourselves either through this like mental, the mental blocks, then we can truly see the potential of the collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you, you answered the question. The question was, um, what can we do to spoil the white supremacist beast? I think we have to like exist without them or just like exist autonomously and like not utilize them in terms of like everything we do right now requires input from white supremacists, like whether it be like our jobs or our schooling or like everything. And so I think it's, I mean, I guess that's not individual. I don't, I don't think individually. I'm too, <laughs> yeah, I've been too indoctrinated. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like I only see things as like yeah. a collective thing, but I think it's about setting up like autonomous housing structures, like setting up food structures that are like taking, taking land and just like doing yeah. things on our own. And being like, we don't need you. And once they realize that, I think, because they don't like when you don't need them. Mm -hmm. They really don't like that. <laughs> they rather you hate them than yeah. not need them. Yeah. I really yeah. recommend this book called Jackson Rising. That's about cooperation. I'm, I'm reading. Really? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it for a book club because it's a lot of like um, abbreviation explanation and like, <laughs> I'm just like different committees and stuff, but it's very, yeah. Basically, what's the book? Uh, Jackson Rising. Uh, I'm not here. Okay, y'all. I'm gonna head out. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a really wonderful space, and I'm gonna be processing what we talked about <laughs> even for a while. A lot of the questions, so you're asking, I'm like, I need like days to think about this. <laughs> Um, which I get that was the point. So I will see y'all next week. Bye, take care. Yeah. And I'll watch the first episode of Lovecraft. No, uh, first two. The first two. Well, okay, it'll, the it'll be three by, by the next time we meet, I think. Okay. I don't watch too much TV these days, but I'll do my best and read the chapter. Okay. Also, Bye, the book that you're talking about is free online. So I'm going to post it oh, in the chat. Sweet. Yes. It's really good. How many more chapters do you have in this book? <laughs> <laughs> what? I think we're not even halfway, right? Or we're almost halfway? Oh, yeah. We are halfway to six chapters. Um, Let me see. I don't even know the chapter name. Okay. Domestic rituals. Man, that, that that last chapter title, man. What do you guys think about the structure so far? Like the way that each chapter like like has been set up? Like do you think it has been beneficial in you understanding ideas of like con consumption? And mm. like I feel like this chapter should have gone after the Equiano chapter. Like, I felt like it would have made more sense to me. Because I felt like the chapter before this was less, like, literary focus and less, like, analyzing text and more historical. So then it took me out of what the previous chapter was, mm. where we were talking about, like, actual situations or mm. and not, like, analyzing someone's writing, which is what we were doing on the first chapter. I think that's why this chapter kind of yeah. threw me off a little... I, I think this chapter is allowing us to see cannibalism manifest more in the social consumption and, and the, the, like, and how it can also take away your, like, your, yourself, like, the self-cannibalization, because when you, when you, it can be argued that when you, like, deny yourself your your truth you know you're taking away that aspect of yourself you're taking away that that experience you're you're so that could be a form of self-cannibalization but we see how frederick is like cannibalized via the institutions via his relationship with 
the White House and Abraham Lincoln and how they use him for their means. That so I, I think it, it falls in line with teaching us about consumption, how how it's ritualized and how it manifests. For me, the connection between sex and cannibalism was a hard one to understand, and I feel that chapter three kind of provides, no, does provide like concrete evidence. So it could have went either way for me um, in terms of the order. But I love how the author can like weave like the perfect um, literary something or other, um, like the memory of a text, like you can't forget, like different definitions and terms that the author puts in place, even in the introduction. So I think that's enjoyable. Well, I am fatigued given the <laughs> our discussion today, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna head out. Okay. okay. But I I appreciate the discussion today. I oh, had a really okay. good time. Me too. Of course. See you later, Benay. See you next week. Mm -hmm. See you later. Y'all have a good day. Me too. <laughs> 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 By facilitator. It was nice talking to you. Oh, okay. Cheetos, Cheetos, Ash. <laughs> yeah. What's the date? <laughs>